All right, Michael, let's welcome the great Mark Graney back to the show. Mark, there he is. welcome back. How are you guys? All right. Thanks for having me back. Mm-hmm. Well, glad you're he- glad you're here, and uh, yeah. congratulations on number eleven, Gray Man Sierra Six. Wow! Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> so Sierra Six is is the eleventh Gray Man, but it's unique a bit to the series. So, can you give our audience a quick overview of what they can expect this time out? Sure. So Sierra Six, as you said, is different from anything else I've written in that it is two complete novels sort of interwoven into one, which you'll see when you read it. It is uh, uh, one of the timelines, one of those plot lines takes place 12 years ago when the hero of the Gray Man series, a guy named Court Gentry, is a young CIA paramilitary officer who is sent to Pakistan with his team uh, on a mission to find a terrorist before he can deploy some radioactive dispersal devices or dirty bombs um, against coalition forces there. Also, in the present tense, it's 12 years later in the current current day, and Court is working as a freelance intelligence asset, and he's actually working for the Indian government, or at least he thinks he is, and he is on a job in North Africa when he sort of comes across a ghost from his past, from this past mission from a dozen years ago that was very, you know, uh, personal to him. So this sends him on a kind of a quest that sends him into India to try to uncover what's going on, who this guy is, uh, what really happened 12 years ago in this mission that he was just a part of. And uh, he finds that he has an even bigger threat to, uh, to defuse this time. So it's, Two complete novels. It's a 165,000-word book. It's basically two 80,000-word novels <laughs> interwoven that are in, very much interconnected. And it's also a very personal story for the hero. And it's got all the actions and twists and turns and two ticking clocks instead of one. Right. Absolutely. Oof. That does. Well, some out there might not know this, but uh, Court Gentry first came into being in an earlier story you wrote but did not sell called The Goon Squad. Um, yeah. in, in a way, in a way, CR6 kind of closes that creative loop for you. Um, when you realized that Gray Man was going to turn into a series, did you always have the intention to kind of return to Court's roots and tell this story? Yeah, at first I did. And then you start thinking about how daunting it is to do an origin story of someone that you've talked a lot about. And yeah. so mm-hmm. um, I, I talked to my editor for years about an origin story and my agent um, would be cool. But then I'm like, yeah, but people know how that this thing happened and how that ended or whatever. And so finally, I kind of got the idea about, well, what about just one point in time? in his early CIA career that, that relates to something current. So people don't know how it ends. You know, they don't know that, uh, you know, that everything's going to be all right on the night. And um, once that got into my head, then I started kind of like figuring out how to make that work. And one of the key moments of Court's uh, career in the CIA is when he left being just an operation, a non-official cover operations officer and was folded into the CIA um, ground branch paramilitary unit. Hmm. Um, there's a character named Zach Hightower who's in most of the Gray Man books who, yeah. uh, you know, this this origin story, such as it is in Sierra Six, shows the two of them meeting and shows Court being integrated into this team when he's very much a singleton operative and uh, doesn't doesn't play well with others and um so you see that whole dynamic there for the first time and um, i thought you know it was i thought it was something that long-time readers would enjoy because they knew some of the background and first-time readers would also really enjoy because 
it's it's kind of cool to see this CIA guy early in his career and then where he is now where he's a lot more, you know, beaten down and world weary, but also has a lot more skill and a lot more um, just kind of perspective on things. So I wanted to show the same guy a dozen years apart after going through all the things he's gone through to, to you know, show how he's changed. Yeah. That was actually one of my thoughts as I was reading it, that it would be not only is it great for the people who have been reading, but it's a great entry book too. Like if somebody, if you meet somebody who hasn't read any of the gray man books, this is, this is a great place to start. And then yeah. you can go back and thank you. And yeah. So, yeah, that was the idea. I mean, I always, you, you always want every book to stand, be able to stand on its own feet and right. stand alone. And then you also want to reward people for reading the other books for them <laughs> to be some sort of, some sort of relationship, you know, yeah. some sort of longer story arc. So that's always a balance with each book. Well, given how many people probably have strong opinions of who court was, you know, that in that time period in their head, you know, they hadn't read it until this book's now coming out, but was there a burden for you to get that early backstory, quote unquote, right or correct? Um, did you have any concerns or reactions that might come from say uh, your audience's uh, unspoken expectations matching what maybe they, their opinions that had formed over a dozen books? Yeah, well, you, it is because there's only you only have one chance to show court yeah. and Zach meeting, and you only have one chance to show court being trained um, in in this unit, the Gulf Sierra unit that he he goes to Pakistan with. And so, yeah, you definitely realize that every word is sort of going to be precious to people that have have been along for this ride for the past 10, 12 years, and uh, you you want to live up to their expectations of that. Having said that. You know, I had a I had a good idea of what I wanted their dynamic to be, what I wanted Court's personality to be like when he's mm. uh, 25 years old and has been in the CIA for five years. Um, and so, you know, I I felt like I should just do my thing, <laughs> do what do what I, <laughs> I thought was right, and then uh, let the chips fall where they may. Because I I thought it was a you know that aspect of the story was, um, I, I I think it'll be like you know, candy for, for readers that have sort of wanted to know about court and Zach's origins together. Yeah, I know I did. <laughs> Thanks. Well, yeah, that's actually a great segue into what I was going to ask next. So Sierra six is terrific and it offers longtime fans a view into the history of a character we've come to know so well and the events that have been alluded to in this book or that. It was also extremely fun to see more Maurice, um, the Zach and Hanley and, and what they were like at that point in their careers. Yeah. But did you, as their creator, learn any new details or insights about them or court as you wrote this one or, or all the backstory so f- fully formed in your head that, that, that you weren't surprised by anything or did you, did you kind of surprise yourself with some of the things that happened? That's a great question because that really did come into play and it, mm-hmm. and it hit me, it hit me sort of blindsided. Um, Zach, the character, Zach Hightower, who is the, the head of the paramilitary unit, um, Gulf Sierra in the past. And everyone that's read gray man books know who Zach is and knows his past relationship with court. He's a very kind of funny, sarcastic, uh, you know, just a super witty guy. He's a little bit comic relief, although he's also a, pretty tough, tough ombre. Yeah. And so as I started to write it, I was just kind of, a, you know, assuming that I knew, I knew Zach, you know, even though this was 12 years ago, I was thinking about how court would be different now mm-hmm. and then, but I wasn't really thinking about Zach being different. And the opening of this story is very, very violent and it's very sort of catastrophic. Right. And Zach is the head of the team that, that 
suffers this um, kind of, you know, opening scene rough patch. And immediately once I had that scene down, I was like, I can't make Zach into the comic relief here because he's, <laughs> you know, he, it's, a, it's the height of the global war on terror. He's in the middle of, you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and he has this team where he's had uh, several losses recently. And so you see him shine. You see his personality shine throughout the book. And you do get some of the, the wise cracks here and there. But I think he comes across as a lot more um, serious guy because he's, you know, he, he has several lives that he's responsible for and a mission that, you know, could save or, you know, cost thousands more lives. So he's very mission focused. He's, he's very much, you know, got, got his game face on for this. And I didn't want him to be the, you know, the, the wisecracking, you know, Ryan Reynolds type um, yeah. <laughs> for, for, for this book. Right. And, um, and that sort of like, once I realized that I was like, okay, that kind of informs, you know, the other characters, Hanley's a little bit different here. Um, you know, a little bit more of a nuanced difference um, than he is in the present. Yeah. And Court definitely uh, was a different guy when he was 25 years old than, than he is you know, yeah. present day. I, I loved the story structure that you used here with the past and the present. I never felt like I was lost or I had to go back and say, wait, Good. what did he say? And, you know, so at, at first I was like, oh shit, Mark's really going on a limb here, but it works so <laughs> beautifully for me as a longtime fan. I mean, this, I, I've always said that this is my favorite series. Um, and the way you wrote it uh, was not only was the craft exceptional, but it just made the story really easy to follow. So do you right. think, do you think this story pattern could be done again with the same effect that you've done? Or do you think this is kind of a one trick pony with the way you wrote this book? Well, I've already thought about doing it again um, in the future. The, the way this came to pass was I, I remember I was telling Tom, my editor, Tom Colgan, the I Tom was like, the Tom, well, the Tom Colgan, <laughs> sure. Give him the definitive article, whatever. That's right. um, <laughs> he's earned it. Um, I, I remember telling him, like, I had this idea about, you know, going back into his past, but I wanted to relate it to something in the present. So there was still a lot of mystery and blah, blah, blah. And I remember Tom saying to me, he's like, that sounds great, but, um, you have to be careful because you can't just like pull your pull into the present, you know, every hundred pages right. or pull into the past every hundred pages. You sort of have to keep these two timelines together. And so I kind of just, you know, thumbs up to that and then started working on my story. And then I realized how right he was because I would, I would balance, you know, not necessarily go from one chapter back and forth, back and forth. But yeah. I mean, through Sec the the two plot lines I think are pretty much exactly the same length and they 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 bounce around and inter interweave and it was super important for me that you know something that happens 12 years ago in the past you go into the next chapter and you're in the present it's related to something that happened yeah. in the past so that became kind of a science as it was going on and just like every book I ever write, there's a period where I'm like, what have, what have I done? What have I just committed myself to? <laughs> where the hell am I going? Where the hell am I going? And that always happens once it's too late to just throw it all and just yeah. start over, you know, you're already, you're already sort of committed to the hundred thousand words. Yeah, exactly. Or, or yeah. When, once you're into it, you're like, okay, I've got to make this work, but just, you know, there's a bunch of things I didn't think about and that's happened in other books too. Huh. And in this one, it was sort of like, okay, um, is the present, is the story in the present as impactful as it is powerful or are when, you know, when people are reading the past and it goes into the chapter about the present, are they going to, 
you know, want to fast forward. You know, I, I'm a reader first and foremost myself, and hopefully always will consider myself a reader yeah. before being a writer. And I know what I like. And, you know, we've all read books where it's like, oh, we're going to go talk about this guy for a while. And you just yeah, start to exactly. scam a little bit, you know, and it's just like, that would just be heartbreaking for me, you know, if, if people did that. So it, it made me raise the stakes, like each, each plot line made me raise the stakes, the other plot line. So in the end, it was a lot of fun, which is what I always say when I'm finished, <laughs> but it, I don't say it for the seven months right. or so I'm writing it. It's like yeah. it, at this stage, the book is done and it's like, yeah, that was a great experience. But then when you look back on it, any one particular day and I was, you know, like, you know, throwing the noose up in my closet. Um, <laughs> but but I could see me doing it again because there's other little fragments of things that have happened in the past that I've alluded to mm. that I would like to show but they would have to be related to something in the present just because I, I, I don't want to just go back and show the scene where court's CIA team turned on him right. or show the scene where court, um, you know, was, was roped into the CIA. It, it would have to have some relevance to something else in the story. So right. it makes it tougher, but ultimately I think it makes for a better book. Yeah, it was wonderful. Well, so just to clarify, so when you, when you were writing, you, you wrote somewhat in the sequence that the book appears or did you focus more on, each story individually and then kind of cut and paste them together? Well, you know, I tried to do that <laughs> and it, it wasn't really it wasn't working. Like yeah. I tried to be like, all right, I'm just going to do the, the 12 years ago in Afghanistan and pa Pakistan, and then I'll do the present and then I'll thread it all together. Right. And I remember one of the, the Tom Clancy novels I wrote, I can't remember after Tom had passed and I wrote the whole thing and I, I can't remember which one it was offhand. Um, I remember I sort of did that. I wrote basically multiple storylines and then just like, okay, you'll just thread them in together at the end. And it kind of worked. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it's obviously, you know, it's, it's kicking the can down the road and it's like, this Still is a problem here. for tomorrow where you've got to, <laughs> yeah. um, but for this one, I, I was having trouble doing that. And so then I, I, I wrote it, I wrote this one pretty linearly. Uh, oh, that's the first time I ever said that word right. And don't make me say it again. But um, <laughs> have a drink. <laughs> yeah, but I, I wrote it in sequence, um, yeah. more or less, compared to other books. It's probably more. Yeah. Well, that's extraordinary for a couple of reasons. For one, the court has two very distinct voices in this in this book mm -hmm. um, because he's two different people, and you 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 never blurred that line. And as oh, Mike okay. and I were speaking before we got on the on air, and both stories were propelling me forward and like when you would cut from one to the other it wouldn't be disappointment because i, I really wanted to know what the hell was happening in that story That's and then i get fair. to that whatever stopping point i'd be like oh now oh good I, but it was like this this tension between really wanting to know what story b was happening but but being completely enveloped in story a so i think you you nailed it. Yeah, that, that was Thank, Yeah, thanks for saying that because literally that's the thing that I've spent pretty much all of 2021, you know, <laughs> freaking out about. Um, because as I said before, it's like you just don't want it to get where it's like, well, I'm really interested in what happened when he was in Pakistan and um, doing this thing, but but the present time thing, it's like I, you know, I could do without or vice versa. So I, I just no. realized, you know, as as I was doing this, which is what Tom was kind of warning me from the beginning, it was uh, like yeah. you're writing you're writing two books that have to thread together yeah. um, because you, you, you can't just do like a little bit of the past and then, right. you know, have it, have it relevant. So, um, you know, it, it was a learning, it, every book has been a learning process um, yeah. you know, in, in my career. And this, this was no different. Hmm. Well, we, we learned a little bit reading it, but yeah. So 
Court, Court's evolution as an operator has been to a large extent um, well ahead of his emotional evolution as a human, I guess you could say. Yeah. And yeah. I know this is by design, both by you as a writer and by Court as a guy who, who feels more effective if, in a job if he keeps everybody at arm's length for his emotional well-being and for their physical well-being. Um, Sierra Six offers a bit of background here. Um, and of course, in later books, Zoya personifies this internal conflict for Court. But as a writer, which is more challenging coming up with these compelling plots and terrific set pieces or easing court through this personal growth process that he's conditioned to fight every step of the way. Mm, um, I probably spend more time thinking about the plot and the big, you know, the, the, the big picture of the story, mm. but I spend also, I spend a good amount of time of going like, where do I want my characters, not just court, but all the characters, where do I want them to end up at the end of this book, you know, like what growth or, or, or whatever has happened to them. And so I don't have this big future plan of this will happen to court three books from now or whatever, or he'll, you know, realize this or find love, you know, and, and you settle down or any of that sort of stuff. I don't have that. It's just, everything is just kind of dependent on the book. And then what I've done in the past with the hero or the, you know, the, the characters. And so I do spend a lot of time, you know, I wanted to show him as a 25 year old man that pretty new, pretty much knew nothing other than guns and tradecraft because yeah. that was just basically how he'd been created. And mm -hmm. he finds himself in real situations. I always say this to, to um, writers is, is like, you know, the, the more you can have your reader identify with your character, even if your character is an assassin or if your character is like, a, you know, from outer space or whatever, the more you can, come up with things to have them identify with it, I think the better you are. And so, you know, in other great man books, I've shown like CIA bureaucracy and kind of the hassle of that. And it was just sort of like, Hey, I've worked in the corporate world. And, you know, it's like people, people, a lot of people who are not CIA operatives will go like, yeah, I've dealt with bullshit like this before in my past. Yeah. <laughs> and so, that guy's in my office too. Yeah. Yeah. That dude's in my office too. Exactly. <laughs> and so, um, I, that's kind of been a thing that I think about when I'm writing. I'm like, you know, people will identify with this. And so you see Court, he's 25 years old, but he's basically um, like a 16-year-old kid, uh, yeah. you know, as, as far as relationships. Or I don't know what, it seems like uh, now Now I have a 14-year-old a, a who's basically a starting the date. So, uh, you know, oh. I, I was almost 18 before my first date. So <laughs> either times have changed or I just really sucked back in the eighties. Both. No, no. Oh, <laughs> Maybe a little bit, a little of both. Look call me, look call me. You know, so there's a 12 year gap between the one storyline and then the current storyline. So how much, like how much thought did you put into, I mean, technology is, is key to court success and it is a part of your books. Um, you know, the newest and greatest uh, technology out there from a military standpoint and, and technology in, in other areas as well. So you kind of have to watch yourself, I suppose, going back 12 years and saying, oh, he's got a tablet, you know, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how yeah. much, how much did you spend or were you just kind of like aware on the, on the periphery that you got to kind of watch what you're handing him, you know, in a holster 12 years ago versus what he's got today. Right. Yeah. You see that his, um, the technology that he uses in the present day, even though it's coming from a freelance intelligence 
guy. I and mean, the court thinks he's working for the Indians. Yeah. Uh, and he sort of is, but he's also, um, you know, he's, he's working for a, a, a freelance Indian um, former intelligence officer. And um, the technology that this guy has at his fingertips is better than any technology you see 12 years ago when you have the full force of the U.S. coalition and the CIA and, uh, and all this other stuff. Um, now, there was also some technology in there that I can't you know, I can't stand behind. It was just for, to yeah. make the, you know, to make the pages keep turning. There's a, there's some satellite spoofing stuff that happens near the end of the book. Yeah. And right. I'm like, yeah, I did a little research on that and people talk about it some and it's like, yeah, yeah, it, this, that's how it works. You know, <laughs> for the purpose of the book, <laughs> as, as I've written more and more of these books, I've realized, you know, it's not about being accurate. It's about being credible, which is an old right. Jean right. Le Carré line or yeah, a paraphrase sure. of a Jean Le Carré line. And so, you know, it's like I needed the Americans not to be able to see via satellite what was on the ground or via predator um, what was on the ground over the Pakistan border at this point in the story. So it is ir irrelevant to me whether there is actually the technology <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, um, to close their eyes like that. You know, it's like um, I'm, I'm really hot and heavy into the turning the pages and, and getting this plot going. So it's yeah. like, I'm going to make it work the way it's going to work, um, you know, to, to serve, you know, the story that I want to tell. So yeah. technology is important up to a point. And I was a little more um, slavish to it earlier in my career because you get emails from people that's like, yeah. well, yeah, the, the, the microchip, blah, 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 you know. And, um, <laughs> and so you find yourself kind of writing to shut those guys up <laughs> and instead, uh, of, yeah. in, instead of like serving the story. And so now I'm like, hey, just come at me with your heat about how, you know, like the Russians would not have had this satellite spoofing technology, you know, like give me that all day long and I'll just delete your emails and, <laughs> and write this, write the story that I think is really, really cool and fun to read. So that, I'll go that's, to your book that's my this. philosophy now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Part of me wants to meet those people and see what they're like. And part of me doesn't want any part of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's, I, I've been at it long enough. And then, I mean, honestly, and as, as well as my books are doing now, I feel like I kind of heard more of that kind of pedantic <laughs> stuff when I worked in the Tom Clancy. Milieu. Yeah. And, oh um, yeah, sure. And, 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 oh my gosh, the Tom Clancy. <laughs> amazing. And I, I would do these tours and there'd be all these people uh, when I put out a Clancy book and all these people would come. And I was like, I get so many evil emails from people that just hate me and they're going to show up here in Dallas or they're going to show up here in Phoenix or whatever. And, um, and I, I remember I was in, I was in Houston and I was like looking out at this full room and I was going, all right, all right, who's the guy that's emailing me about, you know, this particular thing that happened with parachutes and, or whatever. And I was like, pick the guy out of the crowd. And then afterwards, this is God, God's honest truth has happened. And I, I saw this guy and I was like, there he is right there. I know what that, <laughs> I know what that guy's all about. And then he came through the signing line and came up to me and I'm like, here we go. And he's like, I just want to thank you for, for carrying on these characters. These characters have meant so much to me since the eighties. And, you know, I hate that Tom's not around anymore, but I, I really appreciate you carrying these characters on. And so not only did I feel like a big asshole, it also helped me <laughs> like say, you know, gosh, you know, it's the decision whether you're going to write somebody else's characters. Yeah. You know, it's like there's a lot of people that want to read that stuff and a lot of people that, you know, celebrate the fact that, you know, these characters who are just legacy characters are not, are able to they're able to read them 
you know, going, dealing with contemporary situations. So, right. you know, if, if the book is good, the book is good. That's the way yeah. I, I kind of look at it. Well, there, there's a wonderful character in CR6 named Julie Marquez. Uh, mm-hmm. As someone who's mm-hmm. worked with children on the autism spectrum and has autistic godchildren and a lot of autistic people in my life, yeah, um, I think she was beautifully and accurately rendered. Um, Thank you. Sure. Um, coincidentally, I just rewatched The Accountant, um, which if people yeah. know that's about an assassin who is autistic. And as I thought about, I, I just like finished your book and The Accountant was on and kind of coincidentally watched him back to back. And as I thought about court a bit, you could interpret some of his behaviors as being slightly on the spectrum at times. Um, but what I was curious about is what inspired this aspect of the story and how did you go about getting all those details right? I, yeah, I did a bunch of research. But, uh, your first part of your question, what inspired that part of the story? I wanted court in a, in a relationship or, or sort of navigating the early stages of a relationship. And... Um, and as I was, I've spent a lot of time um, doing research with members of the military and intelligence people, and um, not so much intelligence, but in the military, people are so young. Some of these people are yeah. so, so young. And as I get older, gosh, it seems like they get younger. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I've, I've met, you know, 20, 20 year old females that are, you know, had more responsibility on a daily basis than I've ever had in my entire life, you know, like landing a helicopter on the back of a destroyer or something like Mm -hmm. that is a specific example. Um, And I know that, you know, there's a lot of intelligence people in the army. A lot of them are female. It's kind of like you sort of get annoyed when females don't get their due and that's not some woke, like, uh, you know, right. like check me out thing. I mean, it's just really like, I'll go to a military base and it's not 50% female, but it's maybe 30% female and, and they're doing amazing jobs. And so I kind of had this idea for this young female intelligence analyst who's very, very good at her job. And just somewhere along the line, I remember calling up Tom and, and actually calling up Scott, my agent and asking both of them, you think it'd be okay if I if I put someone who has some Aspergers in the book, or is that going to be like looked at as you know, right? I don't know, uh, you know, the, the wrong way. Yeah, right. And um, and I did some research, and there are people in in my world that that um, you know have this, and you know, you you see in the book, it, it's not a negative <laughs> to her at all. No, it's really not. A, it's certainly not a negative yeah. to the CIA because you know the the, the, the the traits, you know, she, I think she mentions early on when she's explaining her situation to court, she's just like, you know, we're, we're honest. <laughs> we're, you know, like we have all these like positive traits too. And, um, and I, I don't know, I just, as I started to build her as a character, I just fell in love with her. And, and I just, uh, you know, hopefully that comes across on the page. Like, you know, she was just a super cool um, uh, young woman that I thought would be exactly what court would need and um also would be just impenetrably confusing to court because of of the way that i've created the character and and um and i thought that would just be a a fun um aspect of tension yeah that was awesome thank you yeah mark sean and i and a whole slew of other people kind of follow you and your some of your journeys on social media and whatnot with your family and things like that and i I just can't imagine how much busier you can be as a, as, as one man. I mean, you've got Sierra six, uh, 
uh, armored audio book, a uh, gray man movie with some of the biggest names in Hollywood. I know you and Ripper working on some red metal follow-up. I mean, and God knows what else you're working on that we don't even know yet. All yeah. that in a bustling family life has to have changed the way you structure your days. Any dramatic shifts in your schedule to accommodate all this amazing output that you're doing now? Yeah. It, um, the, the thing is, I mean, you kind of nailed it. I, I am writing the exact same amount I yeah. wrote when I was a bachelor with no dog, <laughs> not even a dog. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm married with three stepkids and four dogs and, um, you know, like a, a house. I mean, I have restructured in that my younger brother, Trey is, is my manager now. And, oh, okay. you know, I trust him implicitly and he's smarter than me in every way, shape or form. And, and he kind of keeps me on, on track. And, and his wife, my sister-in-law is, uh, you know, like, does a lot of sort of like the office management stuff uh, of the life. Because I remember when I brought Trey on, uh, Trey and Kristen on a couple of years ago, I was like, you think you're going to come in here and take stuff off my hands and that's going to make my life more efficient. You're going to come in here and see all the crap that I'm not doing at all that I should be. <laughs> and it's like, I'm sort of running a multi-million dollar business out of a backpack at Starbucks, you know, and, and, and uh, that sounds cool until you realize how poorly I'm doing, you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm writing the books, everything else is just falling to pieces. And so he had to sort of, uh, Trey and Kristen had to sort of come in and, and get me organized. So yeah. um, that aspect is, is definitely improved quite a bit. Um, but I still have to write the exact same number of words in 2022 as I did in 2012 or 2013. And, um, I was married previously, uh, but we didn't have kids and we had one, one dog and then sort of two at the end. So I guess that was a little bit, uh, you know, uh, eased into it, but, um, you know, my wife and, and stepkids are all super, super supportive. Uh, the dogs are not, the dogs don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> the dogs, Tearing the, up dogs, transcripts. the dogs are 50 feet away right now. Annoyed that I'm not spending time with them, but, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so th- there's more publicity to do. There's more just sort of decisions to make that are right. not writing decisions. And then you throw COVID in there and, and it limits your, uh, you know, like location research and your travel and stuff yeah. like that. And it, it, it's made things a lot tougher. And I, I do get a little bit panic attacky sometimes. I talk to my wife about it and I'm, I'm fine a couple of minutes later, but it's like, I'll look at my calendar for tomorrow 16 times. I'm like, Oh, is that, that interview at one o'clock got moved to three. Did I'm it's on the itinerary. Did I move it on the count? You know, it's, it's like that yeah. happens all day, every day. And then there's, you know, obviously responsibilities with the kids and, yeah. and, you know, other aspects of life going on. So things, yeah, things definitely have gotten a lot more complicated, I will say though, I love writing <laughs> uh, and, and I guess I forgot that for a little while, you know, I always ah. liked the book when it was done, Yeah. but um, you know, getting kind of locked into your story and you realize, you know, this, you guys know this, it's like the most beautiful thing that happens to you in your day. It's adrenaline. Is, yeah. It is like you have three hours and you look up at the clock and you go, oh my gosh, I've been working for, yeah. you know, this, this solid, you know, and then the inverse happens as well, where you're just yeah. sort of staring at the clock as it t- ticks very slowly and you're not producing <laughs> anything. So both those things happen, but, um, you know, that high, that adrenaline of, of really just, you know, like pounding it out. And I yeah. recently just finished this book called armored, which is the, a novel, 
Um, it's uh, essentially the same story of the audiobook I just put out, but it's much expanded with a lot of different parts and, and characters and other stuff going on. Right, right. And I worked on that all fall and into the winter. And um, I just went out of town, spent uh, 10 days or so in Chicago and just wrote all day long. I mean, I was in the lobby wow. at six o'clock in the morning and I'd write till noon and then work out or you know, walk around Chicago and eat good food. And then by four or five o'clock, I was back in the room and working till 10 or 11 o'clock. And I, wow. I just cranked out a ton of words. And then it just sort of at that time, it just said, Oh yeah, I like to do this. Uh, this, <laughs> thing that, this thing that I do for a living. Don't forget that you enjoy it. You know, when yeah, it's yeah. working right. Yeah. So, I mean, even though things are a lot more complicated now, these are, you know, every writer would love to have the problems that I have, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely not going to whine about it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Well, Mark, the verisimilitude of your novels is is striking. Um, as I, as I read this, your ability to to write about this. this I'm gonna this look. Word. I'm gonna look that word up real quick. Now, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. The verisimilitude. That, hey, by the way, that might be the first. Time, that might be the first time I pronounced it right. Never heard of it before. Uh, yeah, you did good. You did good. <laughs> but your ability to write this world and all the intricacies of intelligence operations, the seamlessness of the scenes between the bureaucratic side, the operational side. You'd think you actually worked intelligence. And again, I have no idea how much of this stuff is accurate and how much it isn't. But like you said, it's all about credibility. It, it, it reads like it's real. So after 11 novels in this world, does that, does that aspect of the story writing come easy to you? Or is it still tedious to script those sequences where you're, you're dealing with you know, the background of an operation and then the yeah. foreground of an operation? I mean, to be perfectly honest, Sean, I love finding tension in other parts of the story. Mm. I mean, it's it's cool to write a scene where a guy's hanging off a piece of bamboo and shooting a guy and, and a, you know, like a missiles <laughs> going up his butt or whatever, whatever yeah. is happening. That, that's never, that does not happen. That's in the next book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can edit that out. That's the next book. Spoiler. Let me write that. Let me write that down. Spoiler alert. But I mean, the action sequences and stuff, it's like, those are, those are cool to write and they're cool to like go back and edit and go like, oh yeah, that's, I think people will like that. But I, my favorite thing is just to enjoy the tension and dialogue. And if it's two people on the seventh floor at CIA in a, in a conference room, eyeing each other across the table suspiciously, I love that dynamic, you know, and I love the tension, you know, that you can create from everything that doesn't have to do with combat that doesn't have to do with, you know, this guy's a terrorist, this guy's your hero. Um, you know, the, the obvious tension there I mean, there's also tension with, you know, people with different career goals, people with, you know, different, uh, you know, fiefdoms in the intelligence agency. So yeah. I like that a lot. I, I want to get better at it, understand it better. I mean, there's a, a few like former uh, CIA guys uh, who write great stuff like that. Um, Jason Matthews, the late Jason Matthews, mm -hmm. sadly passed away. His yeah. stuff was fantastic. Um, I don't know if either of you read the David McCluskey book. Um, Not yet. It's on no. my, oh my God. Yeah. Damascus station. Yeah, I think I've heard called. great things about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great story all around, but it also just nails all these details and I'm not former intelligence uh, at all. I'm just, you know, a good researcher and, uh, you know, talk to people and make stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are the three <laughs> things that I do pretty well. And, yeah. um, and, but you read these, you know, the authenticity from these guys and you're just, and it's, Oh, it's, it, I just, 
eat it up with a spoon. You know, I just really, really like that stuff. So I want to, I, I like that aspect of it. It's, I don't find it tedious at all. Um, I, I, I just want to execute it even better in the future. I didn't yeah. ask that question very, very, very well because I, I don't find those scenes tedious at all either. Oh yeah. No, I, I didn't take but it that way. What but, struck yeah. me, what struck me is that it seems like you write, and, and again, this is, this is, this is what your goal is as a writer. And I know it's not easy. I know no sentence is easy, but it seems you have such an ease in that world that, that, I mean, it, honestly, I, I would believe you had a, a career in operations if I knew nothing about you, because you just seem so comfortable writing in that world and writing the, the operational side and the planning side. It, I, I just, I didn't know if that was very hard for you or if you're so comfortable with this, with this care, these characters that it's, well, that's not as hard for you as it looks. Well, thanks for saying that. I mean, I think what it is, is like I go into a scene and I know who the characters are in the scene. So there's a scene um, in Sierra Six where you see some people that you haven't seen since the first Gray Man book. Um, yeah. uh, a, a character named Maurice, who's uh, the guy that trained up uh, Gentry when he was in this singleton, uh, this autonomous uh, operations uh, little program. And you see Matt Hanley, who at the time, this is 12 years in the past, is, is an up and coming, um, you know, CIA operations guy who's who's running a, a, a group in, in Ground Branch. And you see Denny Carmichael, who makes appearances throughout the um, throughout the series and in the in the Gray Man film that's coming out in July, incidentally. Um, mm. And you you see these different characters that I've danced around for years and years and you throw them all in a room together and have them argue about whether gentry should be pulled out of his current assignment and folded into a paramilitary unit um and then you you keep some of the information about gentry who he is and his history and they're using him by his code you know they're referring to him by his code name um and and so that heightens the tension a little bit and it's that's it's a lot of fun to build those scenes and yeah. um you know I, i'll do more of that for sure Mm, nice. Awesome. Well, Marcus, I know you're going to say your name, but I'm going to call you that anyway. It's no, fine. Um, you, you've reached you've reached the end of the the regular portion of the interview once again. Okay. Somehow survived that. A four time survivor. Survivor. Four time survivor. Mm -hmm. no, it's not over yet. This could, this could still go south any minute. I you might any you second might now. Is he, is he our most uh, appeared guest now? Because of the anniversary show, I think he is. Uh, maybe I, we'll, we'll send you uh, your award in the mail. Yeah, um, <laughs> all right, I don't know. crayon or marker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no. So now we are to the lightning round, and you know it could be absurd or it just could be us cajoling you into something that you're not willing to do. Um, but the first <laughs> one is um, my, my first question is kind of easy. You you've done extensive research, whether it's traveling to numerous countries, shooting all manner of weapons, picking the brains of any number of people of all the research you've done, what was the most uncomfortable or out of your element you've been thus far? I mean, it, uh, last September, I flew in the back seat of an F-18 and, um, Oh, yeah. An author, Jack Stewart, yeah. uh, is is a um, he's a pilot for Southwest. He's also a Navy uh, uh, in the Naval Reserve and an F-18 pilot. And so I went through the, you know, the little program to uh, the survival program and to learn about all this sort of stuff up in Maryland. And then I went down to New Orleans to, to do the flight. And um, I was less terrified than I thought I would be. But 10 mm. years ago, I was afraid to fly on a commercial 
Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Really? Or, or maybe wow. even less than 10 years ago. Like when I, when I first started writing and, and traveling quite a bit, um, you know, it was very, very stressful. I mean, to the point where I would medicate myself before a, a plane ride. Wow. And I've done it so many times that it got less and less scary. You know, it's like, it's not like you get braver. It's more like, yeah, I just can't get my body worked up that much. Yeah. Right? Numb by exposure. On 100, I was on a hundred numb by exposure. That's great. Yeah. As I'm yeah. I've been on a hundred planes this year. I just can't, my, I would have a heart attack and die if I got that <laughs> freaked out every time. So I, I'd gotten away with a lot of it, but an F-18 where you're pulling multiple G's and, you know, you're strapped in and, you know, just the, the whole concept of the uh, ejection seat. I mean, there's a, there's a, thing right between your knees that if you pull on it, you're suddenly, you know, 30,000 <laughs> feet in the air by yourself. You know, I'll do it at Mach 1. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm not pulling that thing no matter what happens. If we're going into the mouth of like a giant monster, I'm not pulling that ejection. Like, so um, at any point, did but, you say, talk to me, Goose? Did you? Did you? <laughs> I didn't. Hello, do that. boys. I, I, th I think, um, uh, you know, singing Danger Zone or any of that is frowned upon in the Navy. I'm, I, I don't think I've actually directly asked them that but i'm just <laughs> gonna go out on a limb it was it was actually the best experience um of, of anything i've done but it was probably the most out of my element like i've learned to scuba dive i've done stunt driving classes i've done all sorts of firearms um courses that involve live fire and bullets you know going a foot and a half you know by your head yeah. on both sides and and Thanks. um and so th those are obviously you know to get your adrenaline going but there was, uh, you know, this flight, we, we went Mach 1 and we did, we pulled six Gs and, you know, we did a, a bunch of things um, and we flew in formation with three other aircraft. And it, it was a spectacular moment. It was one of those moments while it was happening, you're going like, oh, you're going to want to do this tomorrow and you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you're one shot to do this. And uh, it's great. Although I do say it was like an hour and a half flight. Now, there was about 10 minutes where I did not want to be on that airplane <laughs> because it was, I was getting a little queasy. But uh, an but, hour and a half? Yeah. That's a damn long flight. Yeah. It was a pretty, yeah, it seemed like it. Uh, I mean, it, it went by really fast, but at the same time, I'm like, gosh, we did a whole bunch of neat stuff, you know, in, in that time. That's it was cool. an amazing experience. And the, and the people in the Naval Reserve were just top notch. It was really nice. That's, that's yeah. phenomenal. Um, so much for a lightning round. That was like a yeah. That was answer, a but... no, no. This is great. This is great. No, that <laughs> lightning. It doesn't have to be fast. Yeah. It just means it okay. strikes you when you least expect it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay. So I just thought. Of it. Um, so outside of authors, outside of authors you admire, who is the single most interesting person you've spoken with, and why? Oh, you put me on the spot. Um, or a a extremely important. Um. Let's just say outside the authors and your wife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's put that caveat. I mean, this is going to sound like such a pat answer, but I, I have to say my father, my dad ran um, the local NBC affiliate here in Memphis and everything that I am is, is like to this day, he passed away in 2005 before I'd had any, before I'd even finished a book. Um, so he never saw any of this, but he was always encouraged my reading. He always encouraged my writing. And um, he was just an amazing guy. He was a World War II vet, uh, 21 years old. He was in, fought in Germany and was actually in the Philippines uh, when the war ended, when the bombs wow. were dropped, the, the nuclear bombs were dropped. So he, he, 
he was actually officially in both theaters because even though the bombs were dropped and the war ended, uh, you know, there was a lot of sort of cleaning up. There was a lot of Japanese that didn't know the war was over yeah, in the yeah. Philippines. And he had to he had to go inform them with his uh, Tennessee <laughs> knowledge of Japanese, I guess. Um, and some of them probably were not good listeners. Um, but But my dad was just, you know not to speak ill on my mom, my mom was fantastic, but there's just something about my dad where I sort of see myself in my actions now, even like now that I have stepkids, you know, it's like, I'm like, Oh my God, you sound so much like your dad. You know, I like, I like my dad. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. probably so. I mean, that's, that sounds like an easy answer, but I mean, no, it's, it's great. It's that's truly, it's, answer, it's truly how I feel. Like if yeah. I, I, I think about it sometimes, like if I can have my dad back for like 10 minutes, what I would, what I would give up for yeah. that, just to right. tell him like everything that's happened and you know, like all that stuff. Cause he, he'd be, he would just be getting a kick out of everything. See, nice. my, my mom's dad would be my answer. So that's not Pat at all. All right. Uh, good. Okay. My, my last question, um, you know, that feeling and, and for, everybody is different, but you, you left home and you're like, I left the TV on, I left the oven on, I left the iron on, whatever it is, you know, that feeling, yeah. where you know, yeah. you forgot something. So yeah. have you ever turned a book in and suddenly remember that you forgot to name a character after somebody <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? So I, I feel like this is a leading question. <laughs> Was there supposed to be a callback? Is it call back to two lightning rounds ago? <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do. Wait, was, he, was he, was it you, Sean, or was it Mike? <laughs> no, it was Sean. All right. All right. I can put you in armored because I'm still doing, I'm still doing uh, one last round of proofread on, on armored. I've, yeah. I, no, I, I've never had that I'm put, feeling. I'm putting that on my chest if it happens. Yeah, I've, I've never had the feeling that I've forgotten to do that, but I have been informed <laughs> while on a Zoom call. <laughs> that um i've forgotten to do it and shamed Close a little enough. bit Close they, yeah they a, now they made a kia list it's all right <laughs> you're you're gonna be the biggest jackass in armored um uh, he, he has a different awesome. name now but it's, it's fine uh, no i will i will get you in a book sean cameron is is you know i, I need to do another ira themed book and uh, i'll throw Actually, you, I'll you had throw a really your... you had a really good reason for you, you told me in one minute out you go did you want to be a human trafficker from like <laughs> <laughs> from yeah. the baltic states and i'm like okay good i'll, I'll wait i'll wait yeah, you're <laughs> like I'll, I'll hold out for a better role yeah yeah Ex lester great yeah <laughs> my, right. my next the gray man book i'm working or i'm just starting working on now that comes out next year there's absolutely a lot of roles for great anglo-saxon names like sean cameron <laughs> so and if i don't scottish pollocks I'm a yeah. Scottish pull-up. Uh, if I don't forget. Um, yeah. I just I want page 137. You have my phone number, so you'll just let me know. <laughs> I'll just keep every once a week. Hey, don't forget. Hey, don't forget. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might want to change your cell phone number there, Mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> note to self. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we know you were in Chicago, and I think you guys were recently in, in New York as well, right? You and the family. Mm -hmm. So um, let's get to the point here. Who has the best pizza? Oh, um, so I have a dairy allergy. So <laughs> I threw, you, threw a curveball your way, didn't I? Um, but as, as I reflect back before I had the dairy allergy, um, I get a sinus thing with my dairies. It's not anything weird, but um, mm, weird. I just I get like a, a, hist a histamine reaction from dairy. <laughs> But <laughs> I really brought this slightly to a, to a You know, we're at the age we start talking about body parts and what's yeah, going exactly. wrong. I feel like I've been there for a while. But um, 
but I like New York. I like New York pizza more. I like uh, Chicago is like one of my favorite places in the world. But uh, I go to Chicago, I have great steak or or, or whatever, and um, uh-huh. and I, I will have New York pizza is something I still dream about <laughs> being off dairy. <laughs> There's some actually pretty good dairy options, which sounds disgusting unless you absolutely can't eat dairy without getting sick, and then they they they're much more palatable. And that's where I am. Hmm. Yeah. Me too. We just lost John's on Bleecker Street. By the way, John's on Bleecker Street in New York is in the in the village. Is the yeah. best pizza. Okay. Right. John's. Okay. I don't know that. Landed a strong Bleecker. punch there. All right. Okay. A younger Mark Graney is sitting in his office chair at his corporate job, thinking about writing books, nervous and excited about the prospect. Twelve years forward, and millions of books sold. What one sentence would you like to write down to send back to your former self? What would you say? Gosh. Um, I mean, this is another thing that sounds like a bad answer, but I, I, if, if I could talk to myself and if I was able to get through to myself, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> you know, relax and believe in yourself. And that doesn't mean... You know, that doesn't mean everybody should believe in their self about everything they want to do. Yeah. You know, it's like I would I would love to be, a, you know, a forward on Barcelona soccer team, you know, yeah. and believing in myself is just going to, you know, send me off in the wrong direction and waste <laughs> a lot of time because yeah. um, no one's going to believe in me and I'm not getting that shot. Yeah. But, you know, if you put the hard work in and, um, you know, I say relax because I, I think of myself in my thirties and I was so freaked out about not being where I wanted to be in life and, mm-hmm. and not having accomplished things or whatever that I think that you, you, you spend a lot of time just sort of spinning your gears and not being productive because you're freaking out that you're not being productive. And yeah. it's just this cycle. And if I could just go back to myself when I was 30 years old and slap myself in the face and say, you know, if you work hard and you don't freak out and you spend your time, you know, doing something, you know, like working on the craft, then you can actually get somewhere. Right. But I, I, I honestly think I did not believe that I would ever be published. I just really like to write. And, you know, I would sort of dream about being published. And I would do the thing where you sign your name on a sheet of paper over and over, like you're signing books. And now I sign a million books. I'm like, yeah, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> um, but um, then it's a great thing. But, uh, but I don't think, you know, it, if when I was 24 years old, you told me that if I worked my butt off for a few years, I'd become a published author, which is, was my goal. I would have worked my butt off, but instead it's like, I'm, I'm piddling at this thing because nothing's ever going to happen out of it. So right. that's what I would tell myself is just, just to relax and not freak out because then you just, you know, you just burn energy and you don't create anything. And, and just to, you know, to believe in, in this thing that's so important to you. And like I said, there's a lot of other things that I've liked and wanted in my life. I wanted to be the drummer in a, you know, in a big rock band or whatever. That didn't happen. If it, and if I was, I'm 54 years old. If I was 54 and still believing in that, it probably still wouldn't have happened. And, uh, you know, I, so I, I guess I always just sort of bristle when people say like, you know, always go after it, never quit, always do this, always do that. It's like, well, I, I don't know. I've quit stuff. reasonable about the expectations here. Right. It's like, I, I quit stuff that it was probably right for me to quit, even though I wanted it just as yeah. much as I wanted to be a writer. Yeah. If, you, if you could say you can be a writer or you can be, you know, on the U S national team as a striker, I would probably say U S national team as a striker. Of course, your, <laughs> your career's over by 33. So it's probably a good thing I didn't <laughs> yeah. say that because I'm 54, but, right. um, 
but I mean, I, I'm glad I didn't, uh, you know, didn't overly believe in myself in that. So it, it's all a balance, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. I, I would, I would say to myself, I'd say, I know it sounds crazy as shit, but buy Bitcoin when it comes out. That's what I would say. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm old enough to where they say Apple. Yeah. And then Bitcoin, the company right? yeah, yeah. Amazon. Same, same, yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. We all yeah. are. All right. Number three, let's say that virtual reality has finally hit the level of, say, Star Trek's holodeck. And you get to choose just one mission Court Gentry has conducted in all of the Gray Man series to experience their full effect. Which mm. book and which mission is it? I'm, I'm so partial to the fourth Gray Man book, Dead Eye, which isn't the biggest seller and probably not the best book or whatever. But my research trip for that was so just impactful. I just went by myself with a backpack to Estonia and to Stockholm and to Copenhagen and to Hamburg and to Brussels, um, wow. you know, all, all places that were in the, in the book. And I just, you know, for a couple of weeks, I just sort of like, you know, shot from place to place. And, um, and then I, that book turned out the way I wanted it to turn out. And the, the scenes in the book and the blizzard and, and escaping from they the, across the roof. Yeah. Yeah. When they're going across the roof and stuff like that. It's right. like, if you ask me like, sort of like, what's the quintessential gray man moment, it might be that, I mean, I should definitely say something out of the, the new book, but uh, the new, yeah. new book I've had, I've had less time to like, you know, ruminate over it, you yeah. know, the, the impact of it, it's still sort of a little bit fresh. Um, but I mean, I, uh, you know, dead eye probably, uh, probably not ballistic where a guy gets his face sewed onto a soccer ball. I'd probably would not want to, <laughs> I probably wouldn't want to relive that in virtual reality, but um, it actually happened in, down in the cartel war. So I didn't, make oh. that, uh, but it also yep. happened in my book. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Is it? Well, man, you, you've, you've survived. You, you, I think you were bruised a little bit, you bruised yeah. and battered a little bit. I, I was back. Yeah. The yeah. lighting right. Put some ice on that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put some ice on. But Mark, uh, Sierra Six is is honestly, you know, I'm sure every writer aspires for the next book to be the best book. And yeah, and um I have my favorite sequences in all these books, but it, it's as good as anything you've ever written. Yeah, uh, it's, for sure. Uh, Thanks, it's phenomenal. I can't wait for Thanks, people man. to read it because uh uh I know I know the, the longtime court gentry fans will love the the backstory and the new people will will be like, holy shit! I need to read more about this guy because this is a badass origin story. Yeah, I'm but kidding. Awesome. Really glad you did awesome. this book. Yeah. Oh, thanks, thanks, man. I appreciate that. All right. Congrats. Best Thank of luck. You. Can you? Thank you. We're gonna be pushing I, the hell out of it. You bet. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. It's always fun to be on here, and hope you'll have me back next time. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I slowed that lightning round down so much, you know. There's this glacial. No, 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 no. Again, lightning round has nothing to do with speed. It's all about. Okay. The all right. All right. All right. Now you tell. Now you tell me. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mark. Everybody, buy this damn book. Absolutely. Make it a bestseller. Cheers. Michael. You and I are on record of saying we're huge Gray Man fans. Um, it's our favorite series. Yep. And this book lives up to the billing. Sierra 6 is outstanding with its dual timeline. We get to see the origin of Court and his uh, into the Sierra teams. Right. And then we get to see a great, a great present day story as well. Right. And as usual, it's a huge pleasure and honor to have Mark Graney on the show. Um, 
I just, I love what we do. This is so much fun. And uh, everybody needs to join us every Monday. Right. And he's right about that book, folks. This could be a New York Times number one bestseller. We we're saying it now. It has everything to do. So let's make it happen, people. Pre-order that thing. Absolutely. We'll see you next Monday. Here we go. Mm. My mm. glass is empty. Mm. And it gets to show us glimpses of coal of uh, court. Mm-hmm. Off, I, all right, I'm gonna start over because <laughs> we, we got my book on the brain. Like, <laughs> off there. Like, Wee. All right, let's all go right. back to actual bestseller. Here we go in three, two, and meow.